Hey fam, welcome to Big Brother and the Hodling Company. It's a podcast about music and Web3 and trying to fend off Big Brother. I'm McKeegan Voice. Today I spoke with Matthew Chen, who's a musician and songwriter and the founder of Songcamp, which is a community of musicians, artists, and strategists with a deep interest in learning what happens when music and the new internet crash into each other. So Songcamp has held three virtual experimental songwriting camps today, each filled with lore and different Web3 mechanics. The most recent camp, called Chaos, was a 77-person headless band that created 48 songs and has generated about half a million dollars in revenue. So Matthew and I chatted about its evolution from a weekly call with a few people to becoming a lucrative music collective, as well as his own evolution as a songwriter throughout this journey. Hope you all enjoy the conversation. Here we go. All right, here we are. Hello. Um, <laughs> hey, Matt, great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Glad to be Abs- here. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I always like to start at the beginning, and I wonder if you could dive into a little bit about where you're from and you know where your relationship with music uh, first started. Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, born and raised. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, temporarily, I'm in Toronto, but but most of my life is spent in in Montreal, um, and uh, that's where I got my my music start as well. I started music. I mean, I guess it's all relative, but it feels like uh, kind of relatively late, um, probably into my like late teens, early twenties. Um, I actually started. By writing, well, I guess if you wanted to go from the beginning, beginning, sure, I started sure. with, <laughs> with drums as a kid. I was drumming for a little bit. Um, I fell deeply in love with the instrument, mm. but I don't think I had the sort of discipline to stick stick out the plateaus of of growth and stuff. Um, so you could say I played in bands, but it was really just you know two or three practices in my basement <laughs> and like little recordings on GarageBand. So I guess that was the real first taste. Um, but uh, yeah, put put down the drumsticks pretty early on. And then many years later, um, I started by actually rapping. Um, hmm. A friend of mine out of high school was writing kind of like these rap songs. And we got super into Childish Gambino at the time. We hmm. considered ourselves funny guys, class clowns. <laughs> and we suddenly saw someone who was using comedy in their, in their, in their music and in their like lyrics, you know, at the time known or, or now also known as punchline rap. And I was like, when, as soon as I was introduced to that, I was hooked. And mm. so we started writing these just like funny poetic pieces. Um, and we started delivering those through actually a YouTube show that we put on a mini series called Mondays in the Bishi, which was a sort of a proto or early concept of like what today is known as carpool karaoke, where we drove around in uh, my Mitsubishi. And every Monday we put out, a video of us driving around having a laugh and <laughs> and then like nice. recording a rap song. And so that's where it really started. And, and and it was through that weekly practice that I started to actually develop my pen and also start to see like, oh, this isn't just something to be funny and clever with, but it's actually therapeutic. And I started to like mm. get get hooked to the actual songwriting thing. And and at that point I was just eventually it, it enveloped me whole. Hmm. Cool. Then I know, you know, like having that weekly practice that that has continued to manifest um, as you've gone 
you know, as you've gotten into song camp as well, and it sort of, you mm. know, feels like the beating heart. I mean, literally, you know, something called that you call the heartbeat call. Um, you know, <laughs> I'd love to talk about that, you know, in a little bit, but I'm curious first to, to hear, um, you know, as your songwriting, you know, as this practice developed and, you know, matured and became more comfortable, um, you know, at what point did you first, you know, did you first interact with Web3 and, you know, kind of have like a light bulb moment of like, oh, these, mm. these two things can work together in this way? Yeah, so, so that would, I guess, fast forward many years later, um, you know, maybe five or six years of turning music into a hobby and growing into eventually a full-time gig where I was able to afford to like live in Los Angeles for a little while, do the songwriting thing, um, start releasing music as an artist um, over there and, and and put out my debut album in 2019. And it was soon after when COVID hit, I, I, I left LA, came back to Montreal. Mm. And that was when I first sort of crashed into this thing we call Web3 hmm. um, through a friend of mine who was at the time working in the DeFi space, working, well, really working kind of in like the blockchain technology layer. And so he started kind of educating me on Ethereum and the things he was building, which was deep down in the piping. And as an artist, it was, there was definitely an energy and like a, just an excitement with the way he was, it, it felt very like fresh and like a, a blank canvas that he was playing with, but it was in like mm. the technology side of things that, you know, it, what interested me was like, how does this meet culture? How does this meet art? Mm-hmm. How does this meet the societal level? Um, and then he, we started talking about NFTs and this art, uh, digital art that people are buying and selling. And my head sort of went on tilt, you know, as, as maybe all of us does at first, it's like, what, like, why? Like, <laughs> and, but my curiosity was just like, just this gravity pull, you know, down into Twitter and Telegram and Discord and just trying to educate on on DAOs and what's happening. And this was sort of around late 2020, mm-hmm. maybe fall of 2020. So things were still quiet. Um, the visual thing was starting to gain momentum, but we hadn't had the, you know, sort of Beeple February 2021 moment yet. Mm-hmm. And so I was just poking around and, you know, the music thing was was even quieter. And uh, it was an interesting time. It was It was fun. It felt small and it felt kind of that yeah i I started to feel that excitement that i could feel my friend have but maybe in my own space my own corner of it cool yeah and then how did that evolve into song camp i think i read somewhere that uh it it, you know derived from perhaps a stoned moment of inspiration (laughs) (laughs) that's yeah that's that's correct that is the lore of it um yeah so it was it's kind of late 2020, early 2021. I was just like soaking it all up, learning as much as I could. And I was really, I found myself in the corner of like kind of this cultural corner that Zora felt at the center of mm-hmm. with like mirror and catalog starting to tease, um, you know, what they're going to be. And they're building on this thing called Zora. And it was just very much centered towards creativity and artist centric and catalog seemed like this first thing that was really focused on music and it was just very exciting. Um, but I was getting impatient and I wanted to start experimenting and mm. like just meeting with like-minded artists who I was starting to find in the space and we were having interesting conversations, but I wanted to like get my hands dirty. And so, yeah, one night in March of, of 2021 after, uh, <laughs> yeah, getting a little bit, uh, a little bit high, um, 
I, I launched the, the song camp discord and just wrote on the first channel, this is a place for music and the new internet to crash into each other. Mm. And on those first few calls it was just like this. Yeah. Let's, let's do some stuff. Let's throw some spaghetti on the wall mm. um, and see what sticks. And that's how it started. Cool. You know, were you intimidated by any, you know, sort of like a cold start mentality? Like, did you have expectations for it to grow into something or was it just mm. like, you know, this is totally experimental. <laughs> let's see what happens. And, you know, I just want to start talking to people. Yeah. At the time it, 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 re- it very much did feel experimental. I think I was starting to dabble on catalog and I was starting to do some, I was starting to plan some releases for my own music and it just felt like an extension of that experimentation, but in a more collective way. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't so much um, expectation really. It was like, yeah, kind of experimental and just improvising and seeing what kind of energy fell into the discord and what we can get going. But that being said, there was kind of some context behind it or, or some maybe extra fuel behind that, even that just that name Song Camp, because I had had an idea years prior after going on some really creatively um, inspiring songwriting camps that really just like changed my perspective on what I could do as an artist individually, collectively, and but was frustrated that the music from these songwriting camps never seemed to make their way out into the world. And so I had an idea years prior of like starting a brand called Song Camp and just releasing music from songwriting camps I had been on previously, um, trying to buy up catalog and then just run songwriting camps and release the music. So the idea sort of transcended or came before my introduction to Web3, but I never got around to it because it just seemed like such a heavy lift. Right. And I was focused on my music. And then suddenly Web3 felt like a space where the canvas was a lot more direct, a lot closer, and I could experiment with some of those earlier ideas um, in just like a more creatively gratifying way. Totally. So what were those initial calls like? And at what point did it feel like you had, you know, you had some momentum to, you know, actually do, you know, do songwriting camp and make something? Yeah. Uh, maybe this, yeah, <laughs> this maybe triggers a, an answer for that idea of like the cold start problem. Right. Cause I do remember <laughs> our first call, you know, off that energy of that one night, I sent it out to some people who I'd already been hanging out with in the space. And I was just telling them like, oh, this and that, like, this is, you know, not really clear necessarily on my idea, but just like, I want to experiment. This is a space for us to, to, to do some stuff. And then tried to get some people to a call. And I remember that first call was like me, my brother, <laughs> by extension, my brother's roommate, who was just like in the room with him. <laughs> and then luckily also Mighty 33 came through, who's like a very OG crypto music, like very early into the music NFT space. And, and I mm. think has carved out a lot of education for a lot of people, including myself. And so that was, that was inspiring. But, but I remember definitely feeling like, man, you know, 99% of the people I sent this to didn't show up. Like, yeah. do I even have an idea here? I remember feeling pretty embarrassed. Mm. Um, but luckily there was some, some strong, like kind of initial support from people outside of that call, just in the space um, that helped me get a few, get the word out a little bit more and, and get a few more people. And by a few, I mean like a dozen, you know, 18, like a, a few people. And, and the calls went from, from two or three of us to like eight to 10. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. And it really stuck around there. And it was around that time when maybe there were 20 or 30 people in the Discord where I was like, cool, let's let's run our first experiment. Mm. 
Jermaine, mean, what was that experiment like? What did that look like? Yeah, so so that kind of played on that initial initial idea very directly that I had related to Song Camp earlier, which was, you know, songwriting camps are really fast and fun and like creatively electric, but the music gets stuck on hard drives. Let's like run a songwriting camp that doesn't end when the music is is written, but extends out into like the visual contextualization and artwork of the music and then the release of it. And we'll use NFTs and Web3 technology to do that in a fast and fun way that just transcends the sort of slow kind of indirect feel of the of the music industry and just like put this out straight away um, in that momentum. And so we created a group of, I think there were like 26 people who applied to that first camp. I curated it down to 12 or 13 people. And we created three bands of three musicians, mm-hmm. um, two visual artists, and then me and two others became sort of like operators, um, just having the thing move along and developing the plan for how this music was going to be released. Because at the time, it was still very early. Like Catalog had just launched. They didn't have an auction uh, feature yet. And so we were trying to figure out how to even release this stuff, where to release it, how to split the funds, if we can, you know, on chain. And and it was a very much like a sandbox for us to play in on the music side, on the visual side, and on the release side. Um, and that that project spanned a grand total of three weeks. It was it was a very quick, mm. quick uh, first experiment. Yeah, obviously, you know, was able to establish, you know, some traction and some precedent. And then, you know, it feels like when you got to Electra, that was when, you know, it was already kind of mature and you really had a sense of yourself. And, you know, you built this lore around a world that had lost its musical energy, you know, which is fascinating. And, you know, just love to hear more, you know, about mm. that. Like, how did it feel once you got like to the Electra phase? The idea for Electra came off of, you know, we had a lot of fun with the first camp. There was some, mm-hmm. we saw success with it. Um, and, and it was, it was very, it was very exciting. And then more people started showing up in the discord. And so we started jamming kind of the people, like some of the alumni from the first camp who stuck around. Um, we were like, okay, what do we want to do next? How could we include more people? And mm-hmm. then we also saw from the first camp, like it was pretty surprising to us how not only were like the 13 of us who were part of the camp super excited about what was happening, but like just this concentric circle of kind of the audience and the space was watching what we were doing and, and mm. super excited with like just the process of us creating this music in this global internet, you know, fast paced way and then releasing it in this interesting and at the time innovative way. And so we were like, okay, how do we A, involve more people um, and keep it still like a, a cohesive project? And B, how do we make it that much more sort of accessible to, to the audience to be able to engage with this project in the way that it's kind of going on in real time? And so the answers that came back to us when we asked those questions was story. Story could be the glue that like brings a wider group of people together. And mm-hmm. story can be the thing that people can latch onto and engage with during the project. And so from that, we started to develop this idea. And I remember on one of those first calls, I dropped this word Electra in because we were thinking about electricity and how this idea of this world, this far off other dimension world where music is energy and we've been sent there to save the dying planet, um, mm. which is lacking in resources. And so so we called it Electra and it was sort of this like, it was just like a, like a WIP title that stuck. Mm. Um, and, and we started building out this 
sort of outline of a story that we felt that others could come in and fill in. And so we ended up curating 42 people into the Electra camp. Um, uh, and, and those included musicians and like another songwriting camp like we'd run in the previous camp. But this time we also included sort of like a pop-up production house to tell that story through audio and visual work. So we had like a 3D artist, we had mm. sound designers, we had voiceover actors, mm. we had script writers. And we sort of put this together and it was very emergent. We weren't exactly sure how it was all going to come together. Mm-hmm. That we even called one of the teams The Swarm. And it was <laughs> just a bunch of musicians who had vocal, sound design, mix, audio capabilities. And mm-hmm. we sort of just like fashioned the story um, with along with them. And through that, we ended up building out the story that people on the audience side could actually journey through. Mm-hmm. And we actually ended up constructing an interactive game or adventure in the Electra Discord, which was sort of your way of traveling to the planet, going through sort of puzzles and riddles and media that told you more about this planet, what its history is, why is it dying, and sort of working in front of the curtain, almost alongside with the people in the back of the curtain to unlock the the the, the three songs that were coming out of the songwriting camp that would mm. actually save this world. So it started to blur sort of audience and participation in in a really interesting way. Um, And it did feel, yeah, kind of like we were starting to almost explore a new medium that wasn't Mm -hmm. just music and visual art. And it was something that we ended up calling immersive digital theater because that's what it felt like to us. Mm. Cool. Yeah, that's amazing. And I feel like already at that, you know, at that point you were getting to a you know, the idea of asynchronous collaboration to this extent where you can actually, you know, continue to maintain a cohesive, you know, like a cohesive vision and actually write something and, you know, cre- create music and all the music emerging from, you know, all of your song camps is, you know, is great. After this, the evolution was, was into Camp Chaos. And I think, you know, from what I've been able to glean, Chaos is sort of riffing on this idea of like, there is a lot of chaos in this process, especially as you had more people and across all of these different time zones and ideas, and it's all you know happening virtually. Um, but but let's be with the chaos and actually, you know, try to ride the wave. And you know, what did that transition feel like between Electra and Chaos? Yeah, the the thing that I always go to in like comparing the two is like it kind of felt on like the story or narrative side of it. You know, for Electra, it felt like putting on VR glasses and mm-hmm. like entering a whole new world, you know? Whereas with Chaos, it felt like putting on AR glasses where you're sort of just tinting the world mm-hmm. we, we, are, we exist in with some lore. And so the idea there was like to still bake in this, this narrative, this, this story that we could all as a, as a camp latch onto and as the audience latch onto. Um, but let's make that story more about what's actually happening here. And what's happening here is like chaotic co-creation. And so we started developing the story. And I really find lore is like almost more fitting of a word because it carries this weight mm-hmm. where we almost brought this this kind of like religious <laughs> connotation or it's definitely esoteric to chaos where exactly as you said, you know, this is a, a, a chaotic process. Um, let's Let's dance with the chaos. Let's play with the chaos instead of fight it. 
And so we started developing this idea where we are a network in service to uh, Eris, who is the goddess of chaos, who's also called the goddess of discord, which is yeah. quite fitting since Amazing. we <laughs> do our work in discord. And so it started to feel, yeah, it was very powerful because it felt like you could almost surrender to the network and surrender to what, where the lore wants to take this thing. Mm. Um, so we sort of created this container of, of time, uh, you know, and a container of space where we would meet over, over a period of time in the discord as a group of 77 people. So way more chaotic than ever before. Um, and, and create this <laughs> very, this bohemoth of a project really that touches all sorts of mediums. Um, including music, and then putting out our biggest project yet—a collection of of thousands of of um, editions of the music and visual artwork, rather than one of ones, which is what we had always done in our past projects. Yeah, and throughout you know this progression from the genesis to you know to chaos, uh, you know each time there are, there are more musicians involved, there um, you know are more types of actors involved, you know, from the visual artist to the, you know, to the script writers. Um, and I imagine the community has grown, you know, pretty significantly throughout this timeline as well. I'm curious how you were, how you were approaching curation throughout all of this. So how we've always done curation for our camps, um, has been essentially alumni, uh, a, a few people from alumni, being put towards the curation. So for the first, I mean, for the first camp, there was no alumni. I curated mm -hmm. it myself. The second camp um, for for Electra, three of us curated, uh, and, and we were all like Genesis alumni. And then for Chaos, we were a team of six, I believe, on the curation team. And of course, it, it always became a bigger process because we had more people applying. And we were also uh, trying, to, trying to bring in a, a bigger cohort. Um, and, and we've kept it pretty high touch uh, the whole way through, where uh, we create an application form uh, during the window of time when when we're starting to um, onboard or, or get the process going for curating into a camp. And mm -hmm. we only make that available thus far in our in our Discord server. We don't drop it more publicly um, because of the high touch process. We want it to be hitting people who are engaged or have friends and word of mouth do the work. Mm -hmm. Rather than like someone just sees a retweet and fills it out and forgets about it. And then we're stuck with having to, to filter through and, and remind people what they filled out. So just with dropping our server and, and during our heartbeat calls and stuff, I think for chaos, we had just over 200 applicants, most of the musicians. And um, the process was really kind of two waves of one going through all the applicants, um, holding a pretty high threshold for music quality. No, no real threshold for for web three you know experience like that that can be taught um and and a bunch of people have come into our camps without wallets or anything mm -hmm. and and we sort of figure it out as we go um and yeah trying to curate in a group of people who have really you know like have have a have a quality of musicality and and um, musicianship already and also just a di diverse group of voices and sort of shortlisted um, that down to maybe 60 and then started doing one-to-one -one interviews with everyone. So everyone mm. who ends up getting into a camp has been through a one-to-one -one interview with one of the curators. Mm. And this is our way of sort of ensuring a vibe check because we're, other than Genesis, both 
Electra and Chaos were 12 week projects. They're highly experimental. Mm -hmm. There um, are a lot of unknowns and you're working with a lot of people. So we want to make sure people, you know, can play nice with others and, and can handle that kind of that space of, uh, of unknown that comes with like the frontier. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm curious of the people who, you know, who entered the community who uh, didn't have a wallet and, and, you know, maybe weren't armed with all that much, you know, Web3 knowledge beforehand was, you know, were you able to get a sense of like, you know, was that a motivator? Was that, you know, that the kind of curiosity about Web3? Was that one of the driving forces behind joining the community? Or was it more more the essence of what you're doing? I think definitely it is. Um, I think especially, you know, if we if we look back at the at the moments or times that these projects were running, um, there was definitely like a lot of interest, excitement, exuberance around Web3 and what it was doing and what it can do for artists. So I think a lot of people were kind of perking up their ears to that and um and and saw this as a as a way of like learning more experientially. I think someone once put in one of our like retrospective, you know, feedback forms put it really well in answering like what they came into this for, which was learning and earning. Hmm. Um, <laughs> Cuz I think, you know, with with those expectations of like getting immersed into a web3 native project, mm -hmm. um there's also been, yeah, a growing expectation of like, oh, these camps are bringing in proceeds from the NFT sales. Each one has right. um, has done so. And so I think that that expectation grows with each camp um, as well. But but the greater group of people you bring in, as we've learned through our projects, is like the greater swath of, of expectations. Um, you know, some people have like thriving professional music careers. Other people are extremely up and coming and Mm -hmm. And like, don't have any music out on on DSPs. So mm -hmm. it's um, yeah, it's a range of different folks. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and there's been you know some, there's some pretty you know meaningful revenue generated you know through these projects. At the end of the day, was the overall amount that was generated by the NFTs for Chaos, or so far, anyways? Sorry, uh, how much? Yeah, yeah. You're asking, yeah. It has generated around 430 ETH in revenues. Chaos. That's amazing. <laughs> and, and, you know, for all those listening who don't know, ETH right now is what, about $1,200, one ETH? Something like that, yeah. 1270 So that's, you know, that's a significant amount of money, especially when you're, you know, you're up against the streaming platforms that are, that are netting you four one hundredths of a cent per stream. Right, right. Yeah, and I thought that some of the mechanics that you used uh, for this one as well was really cool. Uh, definitely had you know kind of a Pokemon, you know, you got to catch yeah. them all type vibe. And was that you know was that an inspiration as you know as you put together? Well, first, can you talk about you know like these Chaos Packs and what they are? Yeah, so Chaos Pack is basically the 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 asset, the the actual object that we were um, we ended up. Uh, putting out as as something that people can collect, can mint. And a Chaos Pack is like a pack of Pokemon cards, except it exists as a as a non-fungible token uh, on, on the internet in digital space rather than physical space. And each Chaos Pack contains four um, Chaos Song NFTs. So of the camp within Chaos, there were 48 songs created in total um, among the 45 musicians 
who, who entered camp. They went through this chaotic songwriting camp over a six-week period and created all that music together. And so instead of just releasing those songs as one-of-ones, we created um, a generative visual art project alongside this that allowed all uh, what ended up being 20,000 editions uh, of these songs. They all have unique cover artwork. So the songs are repeated mm. over a spectrum of editions, of, 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 uh, some rarer, some more common songs. But the actual visual artwork is unique to all of them. And so then we had 20,000, this huge collection of 20,000 pieces that we actually packaged together in 5,000 chaos packs. And the idea there is that when you mint a pack, you can then uh, open your pack, which is an on-chain function that actually burns the pack and, and, and basically rewards you these four songs. It kind of gives everyone their own personal experience of this project. It's such a big project, um, but it almost gives mm -hmm. you this personal EP of four of the songs created in camp uh, with its own unique artwork. And it, was, it also added just this fun, yeah, kind of got to catch them all collection uh, game within the project. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and yeah, it was really during the pre-camp design phase, which, which was a hefty amount of time in, in, in preparing for chaos, <laughs> that uh, a member of ours who is an Electro alumni, also part of the curator team, Will Jurgens, it was just on a call with him that this idea of like packs, he, he mm. brought up this idea and it, and it really stuck. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I I also think it's really intriguing that the pack itself is an NFT, and if you want to, you you can hold on to that. You never actually have you you don't ever have ever actually have to open it, which you know has some implications like for pricing and stuff. I used to you know collect sports cards and baseball cards, and remember you know going to shows where people had you know these unopened packs that had existed for you know like thirty or forty years, and you know, obviously they sell for a lot more than they did when they first, you know, came into the market in that year because there's, you know, there's kind of the mystery of this could be anything, you know? Totally. So yeah, as we were designing this, there were like, once we started double clicking on this idea, there were a bunch of like design choices to make on how the packs would work. Um, you know, what would opening a pack really be like? Would Would the person kind of get the pack NFT and the songs all at the same time? And then you have to sort of click an open button to reveal what those songs look like. But we ended up trying to make it as sort of analog to real life as possible. When you open a pack, you destroy the wrapper mm. and you're left with the cards. And we wanted to make it the same. So instead, it's an actual on-chain function, which costs a bit of gas. So therefore, you do have to pay a small fee to actually do that. But we thought it was worth it for like the longevity of the project where then you can leave a pack closed and in quote unquote mint condition mm -hmm. for a hundred years, so long as the Ethereum blockchain is running, right. um, you could open that pack. So it creates this very exciting idea of keeping packs closed. I I definitely want to you know leave packs to my children and their children's <laughs> children. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's amazing. You know, you can only open something once. You know, there could just be one unopened chaos pack in the entire world, which would be wild. Totally. Yeah, so I'm curious now that you know chaos has happened, you know the chaos is in the rear view, so to speak. Uh, what what's happening next? You know what's on the radar for Songcap now? Yeah, well we've been uh, deep down in sort of like I would call it uh, 
two-pronged period of creative recovery and mm -hmm. um and and 2023 preparations um we learned a lot from chaos as we have from all of our camps the community has definitely grown and um we want to offer more uh opportunities to participate mm. in in projects in the new year we've also seen uh sort of surgeons of emergent projects there was a project that dropped just a few days ago out of song camp called cco lab mm. and this was literally a group of 18 musicians from within chaos who after they were done the six week songwriting camp just wanted to keep making music so they created this cco lab to experiment with creating uh cco music creative commons music that they just released as a mixtape mm -hmm. um two days ago so so these projects are sort of like you know we're learning that when you crash you know creative people in with each other in, in a structured format where they can experiment together they start to become friends, they gain mm. trust, and they gain collaboration history. And that sort of leads to um, a desire to do more and, and this energy to create from within. So I think in the next year, we're seeing a few different modes that we're going to experiment with. One is going to be um, something that we're, we're, we're so far calling mini camp, <laughs> mm. which you can kind of gauge from the, from, the, from the name what it is, you know, a way for people to engage in the camp-like experience. Um, but these camps have ran once or twice a year. Mm. They're high-scope, low-cadence projects. We want to create something that's low-scope, high-cadence, that people can sort of lightweight, get involved, taste it, and release something. We're also creating a container for these sorts of projects uh, to be more properly or more like create a clear process for them to be incubated and supported. Uh, CCO Lab has been emergent for us to support as well. So we want to kind of create ways to support those as they happen. Um, and then the big thing that we're looking towards is uh, Camp 4, which internally has been uh, nicknamed C4 for now, just the lowercase C4. Um, and we're still developing what that's going to look like. Um, and it'll probably happen, yeah, later later next year, uh, sometime okay. in the summer or something of that nature, we plan to, uh, you know, I definitely got hooked on the actual custom development side of things. Mm. Chaos was our first taste of like building our own mechanics with the packs and, and, and otherwise. So I think we want to go deeper on that for, for C4 and, uh, really push the envelope. And the other idea that's, um, swirling around, uh, that camp right now is to actually make the songwriting portion of it IRL for the first time. So actually mm. bring people together um, in real space and uh, and create music in the room. Because it's fun to experience the chaotic discord <laughs> flow of, of mm -hmm. async creation. But man, when you get everyone in, in the same room, that's uh, where real sparks fly. That's where the magic happens. Yeah, no, that's amazing. That was actually going to be, you know, one of my questions is how are you bringing this you know, into the real world. I'm just curious, like, have have any of these camps or like, you know, these temporary bands that that have formed within, you know, within the camp, have they, you know, have they stuck? Have people turned into, you know, touring bands, real life bands, whatever you want to call them? Like, has that, you know, have you seen that manifest? I know, you know, like the CCO lab is, uh, you know, really interesting in and of itself. I'm curious if if anyone's formed like like a more traditional, uh, you know, group that, you know, that has transcended the digital and has moved into, mm. you know, 
you know, into the IRL at this point? Yeah. I'd say, you know, so far, really chaos has the most energy towards that end. Mm. Um, that was something I didn't mention just now in, in terms of like what's what's up next. There's still a lot of, you know, chaos has been released, but it hasn't culminated. There's a lot of energy um, in that group or in like, you know, a, a good portion of people who are part of the band who are continuing to work on it. Um, and it starts to look like a big band, you know, a, an actual band where right now they're working on what it would look like to actually send this music to Spotify. There is a merch working group who's putting together um, some t-shirts uh, with with artwork from us. Um, and now there's also a uh, a plan for a live show. Song Camp uh, members are, are putting on a live show in LA in like almost less than two weeks time um, where Chaos will be headlining and like some cool. members of of the band will be performing. They also performed some of them in in NFT NYC this year. So I think chaos is the is the most there, like touching that that space. Um, I think next year we'll also look at like putting on some bigger, more intentional um, events uh, beyond the songwriting camp, but actual like uh, performances uh, at some uh, at some events next year. Mm. Cool. That's awesome. You know, throughout this process, um, you know, when you came into Song Camp, you were, you know, you were a songwriter who had produced and created a lot of music, you know, under your own name. And, and you know, Song Camp is this, you know, beautiful, chaotic, collaborative, uh, you know, co-creation space community. And I'm curious how your, your approach to songwriting, you know, has evolved and has changed throughout, you know, throughout the past couple of years because of Song Camp. Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's interesting. I feel like one of the takeaways from chaos, which was a real radix, rad, radical experiment leaning into the collective, right? Mm -hmm. Becoming a headless band, a network of one. I think what one of my takeaways from it was is um, is, is is striking a balance, as as most things are, right? Mm. Um, I think like you can't have the collective without the individual, and individuals. Uh, live live in in context with their collective mm -hmm. spaces, and so I think like being able to cater to the individual is is as important as um, supporting the collective if you want the collective to be healthy. And so I think that also plays into my relationship with my personal art and artist career. Song Camp was definitely created on a, on a whim, but definitely with the intention of like wanting to have a network like this for myself as a musician. Definitely my role has evolved toward that of like community builder, you know, operator, mm -hmm. these sort of things. I participated as a musician in Camp One in Genesis, but not in Electra and in Chaos. And I think, yeah, part of me has definitely like lost the individual within the within the collective. And I think, you know, some of what we've I think taken as important in this period and, and we'll definitely integrate into recovery periods next next year what we like to what we're calling creative recovery is like supporting the individuals in our community as well to create and release their own their own works so yeah my how my work has evolved like quite frankly I've my work has has diminished a lot in frequency mm. or quantity of creations it's way more here and there uh sporadically Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I definitely feel an energy bubbling up within me to mm. create more from that space because I think it informs how I show up to the community as well um, and vice versa. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I like the reciprocity and, uh, you know, sort of the seeming duality, but but the interdependence of the individual within the collective and the collective, you know, contextualized with all of these individuals. I think that's, that's a nice perspective. What is a good way for someone, you know, to get involved at this point, someone who has, you know, has never entered the discord, but is curious, what would, would you know, what would you suggest if they want to get involved with Song Camp? Yeah, I would suggest the place to start is um, to come to the Discord. It can be found at songcamp.band. If you fire that into the URL, you'll find yourself in the Discord. Every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, we hold our heartbeat call, which has been going every Monday for 89 Mondays now. Wow. Um, we never miss a beat. And uh, <laughs> that's definitely like a sort of shelling point town square time but the community comes together. And it's definitely a good place to just catch the vibe and energy of this group. So that's that's often where people sort of step in through the front door. And then from there, there's a campfire that is a community sort of put together and operated monthly call that acts as a sort of orientation into the community. Mm. And so this is a sort of way of just like connecting with people. That's really where it starts with us. Mm -hmm. And from there, there's, you know, emergent projects that are happening. And then, I mean, a, a lot of the actual projects related to camps or, or any of the projects we spoke about that we're designing for next year, those, those haven't, you know, taken, taken flight just yet, if anything. So it's, it's about hanging first, really. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I love that. Anything, anything that has to do with music should be about hanging first. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. Uh, cool. And I just have one more question for you. You're going through Desert Island. You get to bring three albums with you. What are they? Oof. Three albums. Damn. There's a few shuffling into my head right now. Cool. I guess those those are the ones, you know, yeah. without thinking about it too hard. <laughs> exactly. It has to be the answer. It's an impossible question. <laughs> exactly. Okay. What's coming into my head is In Rainbows, Radiohead. Perfect. Nice. Love that. Oh, man. I have like five or six, in, like I'm holding right now. <laughs> <laughs> you can give me all five if you want. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, my childhood is screaming at me to say um, Parachutes or A Rush of Blood to the Head. Oh, nice. I love both of those records. What happened to yeah. Coldplay? Why couldn't they keep making music like that? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, I was obsessed. I yeah. was obsessed as a kid. Um, and then uh, I want to bring, like, for some reason, I want to bring, like, Plans by Death Cab for Cutie and <laughs> nice. equally... Also, I think the child in me wants to bring Nirvana's greatest hits. I think mm. that was like the first, one of the first CDs I was gifted. I'll never forget my older cousin giving me Nirvana's greatest hits. Mm. Uh, so there's some nostalgia there. Those are good choices. Those are good choices. I can get behind those. <laughs> <laughs> it's a toughie. It's a toughie. I know. It's it's truly impossible. And that's the point. That's why I ask everybody. It's about like just what's going to bubble in your head in that moment. I didn't give any like... Um, really edgy stuff you know it's all like it's all like well-known music <laughs> yeah but it's you know it's, it's all great well-known music i could listen that's in true. rainbows true. Every, every i mean that's also the point like you're you're on a desert island you gotta listen right. to this music over and over again exactly yeah 
cool, man. Well, thanks, you know, for your time. Thanks for being here. You know, I've really enjoyed this conversation and, you know, really admire everything that, you know, that you're building in Song Camp. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Cool. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, be well and, you know, hope to be in touch. Yes, you too. Have a good one. You too. All right, that's it for this episode of Big Brother and the Hodling Company. I'm your host, McKeegan Voice, and you can keep up with me and all the latest Web3 music trends on Twitter at McKeegan. That's M-A-C-E-A-G-O-N. This show is a production of Decentral Media, and you can visit us at decentral.io. And remember, only you can prevent and fend off Big Brother. <laughs>